I still had these incredible interviews sitting in my Google Drive, waiting to be heard by the world. And so here we are. Uh, I've been meaning to get into the studio to record these intros and to edit this podcast for two months now. And yay, we're here. Thankfully, the content shared in each of the interviews is not time sensitive. The conversations you'll hear over this first season of the Embodied Feminist podcast are super important. And as I get ready to open my studio this fall, and as many other studios are also doing after being closed or having limited schedules during the global pandemic that we are still dealing with and we may continue to deal with into this upcoming year for sure, I'm just super reminded that we are teaching yoga in a totally different world now. I know that COVID-19 and 2020 and all the things that happened, it was like a veil was lifted and so many of us woke up or we realized that the work we were doing was not enough and we needed to not only be woke, but we had to start taking action. And so now that we're almost three quarters of the way through 2021, hopefully we're starting to take that action on the many, many things that we've learned about justice and diversity and inclusion and creating safer spaces over the past 18 plus months. This podcast, the Embodied Feminist Podcast, is really about taking a long, hard look at the yoga and wellness world. And... It's an invitation into a conversation around topics such as cultural appropriation, colonialism, trans inclusion, gender essentialism, racism, ableism, trauma, and male violence. The intention of this podcast is to give a space to look at the Western yoga and wellness world and ask ourselves what needs to change and then make a plan to change it. And there are so many actionable steps that we can take in each and every one of these podcasts. And so I hope that you will walk away with things that you can do Things that you can do in your life, in your community, in your yoga classes, in the services, the wellness services that you offer to create safer, more inclusive, justice-oriented spaces, both in your in-person communities and online. The first interview that I'm sharing with you today is with Tristan Katz. I first learned about Tristan's work when they co-authored a statement to Jay Brown regarding a podcast featuring Kachi Ananda, who spoke about gender essentialism in a way that was deeply harmful to transgender people, and more specifically harmful to transgender women. I reached out to Tristan for this interview, and I have to say that it was one of the most helpful and enjoyable conversations I had the pleasure of hosting for this podcast. I think you're going to really enjoy what they have to say, and I hope that it gives you pause and opens your mind and heart in the same way that it did for me. (laughs) 
Tristan Katz, who uses the pronouns they and them, is a writer, educator, and digital strategist based on the ancestral land of the Cowlitz and Clackamas peoples, now known as Portland, Oregon. Tristan offers business and marketing, individual and group mentorship programs, editing, web and graphic design services, and workshops and trainings centered around queer identity and transgender awareness with an anti-impression and intersectional lens. Their podcast, All the Fuck In, Showing Up for Social Justice in Your Work, is a collaboration with Lauren Roberts. Featuring conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful. Tristan was awarded the Reclamation Ventures grant in spring 2021 to expand their offerings and dedicate time to writing their first book, and the title is Forthcoming. They are proud to sit on the board of directors at Accessible Yoga, a nonprofit working through education and advocacy to share the teachings and benefits of yoga with those who have been marginalized and to identify and remove barriers to access, build strong networks, and advocate for an accessible, equitable, and dynamic yoga culture. All right, let's dive into the interview. I know you're going to enjoy this one. Welcome, Tristan, to the Embodied Feminist Podcast. I am really excited to have you here. Thank uh, you for having me. Let's start. I want to start with pronouns. My pronouns are she, her. I use they, them pronouns. Thank you for asking. Yeah. So this is going to be, a, I think, a big conversation. Uh, I, I am looking forward to learning from you and asking uh, the questions that I've prepared ahead, ahead of time. I, um, this is, I think this is such an important conversation to be having right now, uh, especially as we, in, in the world of yoga, head back into classroom settings over this next while. So let's start with a conversation about you and the work you do and who you are and anything you feel like sharing with us. Great, thank you. Um, yeah, really excited to be here for the conversation. It is, it is always an important one, whether we're in person or not, and you're right that it is in some ways even more important um, as many of us move back to offering in-person um, classes uh, and spaces. Um, so uh, my name is Tristan Katz. As I said, I use they, them pronouns. I am a digital strategist. I do um, individual and group mentorship, um, mainly around marketing and general business e stuff um, for yoga and wellness practitioners. Um, and I also do uh, equity inclusion work. Um, I'm a facilitator and teacher. I teach uh, primarily trans inclusion, trans advocacy workshops for yoga and wellness professionals. And I'm teaching uh, what I'm currently calling justice-focused marketing mm -hmm. uh, workshops for yoga and wellness professionals. I really don't think that, well, I don't want to be a part of a conversation about marketing and business growth that, that doesn't also involve social justice and social awareness. Um, so that's really how I'm integrating the two. And um, it feels important for me to name a few of my identities. I'm a, a white, trans, non-binary, queer, uh, Jewish, able-bodied person. Um, and 
Yeah, I, I think that, you know, especially when it comes to podcasts and, and hearing from folks, it's important to name some of the things that we might not be able to recognize based on based on a voice, um, because my lived experience moving through the world is really informed by each of those identities. Um, and I also feel inclined to say that, um, you know, I was questioning my gender pre-COVID, uh, but really came to understand my gender during COVID. Um, mm -hmm. And it was the... Um, the uh, removal of outside social pressures, you know, and expectations that allowed me the opportunity to start to um, question more deeply and relate to myself more deeply. Um, and we could obviously, I mean, I've been practicing yoga for 20 years, so I'm sure that, you know, the practice of yoga led me here and then supported me through this process. Um, and, and yeah, I came out as, um, at first I came out as gender nonconforming, and then I came out as non-binary, and then I came out as trans non-binary. I mean, not officially came out, but in my own mind came to understand my identity through this kind of um, gradual process. And it continues to be a process as I explore um, kind of where I am currently and, and what my life has been like, historically speaking, given that I didn't have this understanding of myself prior and that I was raised um, and that I was assigned female at birth and very much raised and socialized as a woman and um, really kind of struggled with the pressures and expectations of performing femininity for a long time without understanding that I was even struggling with that um, pressure and expectation. So. Yeah, it's a lot for me to, I know I just shared a lot, but it all feels like really important context for the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. And uh, there's something that you said in, just in that around the pressure of performing. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like it, there, this has sort of been a conversation that I've, you know, it's been in in my mind and I've had with others in which where, you know, we've created a kind of way that we ought to be in this mm -hmm. culture, in this world and, you know, in our lives and how much work we're doing when we aren't that, that, and yeah. how much energy that takes. Yeah. And so I can really appreciate when you're saying like the, the, the pressure of that and how that was impacting you. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, you know, let's take this into uh, like a certain general, but I really want to, I want to specifically address the yoga, mm -hmm. Western yoga world, but let's start with general around the word trans affirming and what that means to create either to be trans affirming and to create trans affirming spaces. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, I think when I introduced myself, I said that I, I teach trans inclusion and advocacy, and I'm really trying to get away from using the word inclusion because I mm -hmm. think that it's inherently a little problematic because it implies that um, trans folks, for example, want to be included into something that they're currently excluded from. And um, I'll speak from my own perspective. I don't want to be included in systems uh, dominated by cisgendered and heteronormative structures. I want to challenge those systems. Um, and I want to be affirmed for who I am 
uh, outside of those systems. And since those systems are playing out in most spaces, I'd like to be affirmed for who I am, even within the systems. You know what I'm saying? Um, So on some level, I'm talking about dismantling and challenging the systems and also understanding that we're currently living within them. They don't seem to be um, going anywhere anytime in the near future. And in the meantime, I would like to feel affirmed for who I am in the spaces that I move through. And so when it comes to yoga and wellness, um, you know, whatever is happening outside of the yoga space is happening inside the yoga space. We can't just like disconnect from what we're carrying into the room when we show up to take a class. And what I say when we're carrying, I mean, what we're carrying literally in our bodies. So, you know, that's both in terms of like, let's say I experience something on the street outside of the yoga studio, and then I go in, I'm bringing that experience in with me, right? If it's something that's activating or or harmful in some way. But beyond that, even um, I'm interacting with other people who are carrying their own um, internalizations, assumptions and experiences, right? So they're, they're interacting with me based on their own worldview lens and perspective. So If we're not talking about the fact that, A, we've all been taught to make assumptions about other people's gender identities based on appearances, and B, gender is not fixed. Gender is something that's been assigned to us, um, and, you know, again, we're we're expected to perform, um, and, and so we need to be talking about those expectations and those assignments in order to start creating spaces that allow for um, folks to show up as they are, who they are, and not be lumped into these assumptive categories. Um, and, and so all of that to say that it's not just enough to be like, um, you know, we're a space that asks for pronouns, though that's important. When I think about trans affirming spaces, I'm thinking about like widespread culture shifts that start with each of us individually and then move into larger culture shifts in terms of like, how do we as a studio, for example, um, cue our classes? Like what's expected of us when it comes to language choices? Are we having a conversation about the language choices that we're making as a studio, as teachers? Um, Are we having a conversation about how we handle group introductions in small settings like workshops or retreats? And if trans folks are being um, affirmed or ultimately excluded from those introductions, right? Um, And then how do we each do the work internally and collectively to question the assumptions we're making, cultivate these new kind of more mindful um, affirming practices, and then then really question and do the deeper work to question our implicit biases because transphobia and homophobia is deeply ingrained in the dominant culture and we're all carrying it we might not even recognize it because it's been something that has been so normalized like jokes about um quote men wearing women's clothing is like that has a long history right and now we're having a, a more nuanced conversation that like first of all Um, being a man isn't tied to any particular body part or genitalia and being a man doesn't mean that a man has to wear, you know, a specific set of of clothing in order to feel like who they are as as a human being. And so we need to talk about the ways in which we're carrying these internalizations and ultimately these kind of like problematic and hateful and harmful belief structures, um, which is a conversation we need to be having as, as, as a culture, as a collective, and it requires in, in individual personal work, which I think, you know, 
yoga for one really prepares us to be in the practice of creating trans-affirming spaces, to practice mindfulness around our language, to slow down when we're talking about other people, to slow down when we're talking to people, to, to spend time in inquiry and reflection around what it is that we're carrying in our minds and bodies that doesn't belong to us, that doesn't fit, that doesn't um, actually connect to the deeper practice of yoga, which is about union and connection and, and belonging like inherently because we're alive on this planet, you know? Anyways, I could keep rambling, but that's like a, a you know, a, a brief, somewhat brief explanation <laughs> and, and answer to your question. <laughs> I love that answer. And there's something that struck me about what you say and, and what we do uh, that, that I'm sensing a disconnect in, mm. in the sense that when we come, you know, there was a, a time when I used to teach like this and, and I realized that mm, this isn't necessarily how I, I want to engage with the class, but, you know, we'd come into class, we'd get on our mats, we'd lay down or whatever at the beginning of the class and there was an instruction to leave everything at right. the door you know leave you know leave and, and so then in this space what are like then what do we have if we don't have our our narrative our personal narrative our experience and what are we working with in that space and so in many ways it's almost like we erase the experiences of others and ourselves in that moment where we're asked to leave it all at the door. I've recently begun inviting my students to bring it all onto the mat and be mm -hmm. with it and sit with it. And I'm curious what, you know, you know, when you hear that, do, do, do you get a sense of, of how yoga spaces just you know, may have curated an environment that just wasn't open to having these conversations to begin with? Yes. Um, as you're talking, I'm getting the chills. Um, I, I mean, I have also uh, probably said when I was a yoga teacher, leave it at the door. I've certainly heard it, you know, dozens oh, yes. of times. Um, our language choices really matter, right? And mm -hmm. when we invite folks to, quote, leave everything at the door, um, it's a form of bypassing, I yeah. think. Um, yeah. And in effect, it's causing harm potentially, right? Because, yeah. for example... If I, well, I'll just speak for myself as a trans, non-binary and queer person, I can't just leave everything at the door, right? Yeah. Like when something happens uh, in the space, when a teacher says a certain thing or potentially misgenders me, for example, I can't just leave that at the door, right? That's having an effect on my body, on my nervous system, on my being in the present moment that's going to take me out of the experience that we're hoping to, to create and cultivate for folks. So, you know, I love the idea of inviting folks to bring everything in because that's what we that's what we're doing and if we're not acknowledging that we're already doing that we're cutting ourselves off from having a much deeper conversation about what it means to step onto the mat what it means to be in practice with one another what it means to be in bodies right because because we're carrying this stuff in our bodies even if we're not conscious of it in our minds um yeah yeah yeah. So we're, we're definitely getting a few things wrong in the Western yoga <laughs> industry. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. are some specific things that we're getting wrong when it comes to creating safe spaces for transgender people? Yeah. I mean, first I want to say, um, 
I have gotten to a point in my life where the term safe space feels like a trigger. Yeah. Um, because we can't guarantee safety for every person in the room. Right. We just can't. We don't know what each person needs. Um, there's just too many things going on there. I think that um, we can create safer spaces, you yeah. know, and, and that's like an aim that we can have, but we can't yeah. guarantee safety. And I want to credit um, Michelle Cassandra Johnson. Um, who's one of my teachers and a colleague and friend um, for, for my understanding of that um, mm. and that kind of language shift. Um, but when it comes to creating safer spaces, you know, I, I talked about um, the deeper work of questioning our, our, our internalizations, questioning our assumptions, questioning what kinds of implicit bias we might be holding. To me, that's like step one. Um, you know, another step second to that or complementary to that is we, I think, I don't often say this, I usually start with like, okay, here are the steps. Introduce yourself with your name and pronouns, you know, ask people for their pronouns, remove gendered language from your queuing. I say all of these kind of like action items that you can consider as yoga teachers to create safer spaces. But really, I think that step one should be question your gender. Like, <sighs> like okay, so let's say you're a cisgendered woman, why? I'm not saying that to, to challenge anybody's understanding of their identity. I'm not saying that because I want people to be trans. I'm saying that because I think we all need to be in the practice of questioning how we relate to gender, um, how we ourselves have um, kind of just unconsciously swallowed a gender assignment um, and never questioned it. And, and also questioning the, the deeper part of that too, which is what does it mean to you to be a woman, right? And sometimes when, when people respond to that question, they immediately go to like a body part, um, to genitalia. But one of the things I'm reflecting on is like, each of our bodies is different, even as women. Like we, like women don't all have the same experience of being in a body, right? So what does it mean to be a woman apart from genitalia, apart from body parts? What does it be, mean to be a woman apart from physical attire and appearance and gender expression? Because when we start to unpack all of that, we can see that this is all a construct, right? Which literally means it's been made up. And the human experience is actually much more nuanced and varied and diverse. And to put all of us into one or two boxes is really limiting um, our expectations and understanding of what it means to be a human being, right? And so those boxes are causing all of us harm, not just those of us who are gender diverse or gender nonconforming or trans or non-binary, but the boxes are causing cisgendered folks harm too. I mean, look at, I mean, the reason feminism exists is because women were oppressed, have been historically oppressed, are experiencing oppression on some form. Thank you, misogyny. Thank you, patriarchy, right? And, and then toxic masculinity is now a thing that a lot of us are talking about because men are experiencing the, the, the side effects of the gender binary too, as much as they are also benefiting from it, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a both and. So there are action steps that we can take um, in terms of creating safer spaces for trans, non-binary, and queer folks. And the deeper work starts with 
us really doing the self-reflecting and inquiry to figure out what it is we believe we are as far as gender is concerned, why we believe we are certain genders and what it means to us. It's going to mean something different for each person. When cisgendered folks start to have that process and that line of inquiry, then to me, it means they're going to be able to show up more fully to create the safer spaces for people who aren't cisgendered. Thank you for that. I, as you were talking, you know, I, it's interesting because it, it, I'm thinking about how I have just in doing the work, it's often about, uh, you know, the other, like, and and there's never Mm. that self, you know, like, of course, I've done my done work around looking at my own bias, but like, questioning my own gender that is such a beautiful place to start because then you have this space of of affirmation Mm -hmm. for yourself that you can then appreciate the value in affirming the gender of other people around you and if you don't have that fully uh, you know, aside from just being told that this is, you know, and, and falling in line and, and, you know, without that deeper process, uh, you know, then it, 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 it isn't as rich to affirm gender. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think that, you know, we can all be leaning into the external action steps, right? Like mm-hmm. the, which are ultimately kind of performative if we're not also embodying what it means to be in this work, right? And everything wow. I teach is really um, rooted in anti-oppression and intersectionality. And so when we're having this conversation, I think about what it's like for me as a white person to be in the practice of, 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 of anti-racism work, right? And to me, that doesn't just mean I look outward to other people and think about what it means to be a Black person moving through the world, what kinds of experiences a Black person might have, um, what kinds of structures are set up to support Black folks or not support them. I also have to be questioning my own racialized identity and my own experience of race, right? What does it mean to be white-bodied? What does it mean to move through the world as a white-bodied person? What does it mean to experience structures and systems as a white person? Like, it's not just out, it's also in, right? And we have to be doing both simultaneously to make this work land and it not just be performative or... Um, you know, I kind of think like top down, like this is something I learned in my teacher, one of my teacher trainings where like, we can do all kinds of things with our brains, right? That control then the actions of our bodies. But what about doing it bottom up from the body to the mind, right? We have to do both simultaneously. We have to understand things intellectually and physically, somatically in order to really be in this deeper work of, of quote, allyship across lines of difference, cultivating relationship with people who hold identities that are different from ours right it's not just a a, a thing we do in our minds yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. I'm curious if there is a you know I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling a pull to to wanting to to move in a way to to feel this or Mm. wanting to express or wanting to to find a, a like an like a somatic practice of sorts mm. to find this is it, would you have you done that do you do you f- 
Yeah. I mean, uh, what I have experienced is, um, I think my physical yoga practice, my asana practice does help me integrate. And I tend to think that when it comes to offering this work as a facilitator, I'm, um, going to be less impactful if I don't offer a physically embodied component. And I'm not teaching embodiment practices at this moment in time. And I honestly feel like I'm doing my students a disservice because mm. I'm not, you know, right. and that comes from all kinds of stuff. Like I was struggling for so long as a yoga teacher to quote, find my voice. I felt like I was just mimicking, you know, teachers who had made an impact on me. And I was also just resenting, um, holding space for others as a yoga teacher when I really just needed to, to be, to be held myself. Um, and I was, you know, resenting the fact that I was showing up to yoga classes, thinking about everything as a teacher and not just receiving the benefits as a student. And so I, I quit teaching physical yoga. Um, and I say physical yoga because I do think that though I don't call myself a yoga teacher, my work is still very much rooted in teaching yoga in, in the fullness of what yoga is. But I do think to answer your question directly, you know, and um, Resma Menakam, who's a, uh, a black somatic therapist, trauma worker, um, he talks about this a lot. Like we can't just do this in our minds. We have to move through embodied practices in order to really um, unearth and dismantle and deconstruct and heal. Right. And he also says this is is going to take us nine generations or something to like, you know, completely abolish racism. And, and, and to me, um, homophobia and transphobia are directly not con connected and tied to racism because all of these systems, white supremacy, transphobia, cis heteronormativity, they intersect and overlap and reinforce one another. We do need to be doing this in our bodies. Um, I do think that there are practices on the mat um, or Qigong, like shaking practices. Um, sorry, there's so much noise around my building, but that's, that's the Zoom life. Oh, but man. yeah, I do think we need, to be, we need to be disrupting the energy in our bodies and we need to be moving things through and not being static in them. Yes, I yeah. think that's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. What can we do differently in our classes? So you talked a little bit about language and I'm curious if there are specific language cues or things that you hear in class that feel um, that feel harmful or or that that you know, that immediately, you know, maybe we haven't even considered that we're saying these things and, and that we could say yeah. differently. Um, I think that, you know, number one, we need to know how to refer to our students, um, mm -hmm. which means I think as teachers, we need to be checking in with our students to hear what their pronouns are. Mm -hmm. um, I also just want to name that not everyone is safe to claim their pronouns um, in a way that they might want to. So we need to honor that too um, and, and hold that complexity. So I, I think, you know, step one, we need to know how to refer to our students um, in ways that feel affirming um, and accurate. Uh, and two, you know, I mentioned gendered language. I think that's something a lot of yoga teachers uh, kind of just like, we just, again, like we repeat the things we've heard before us, right? So, you know, one of the things I heard was put the block underneath your bra line. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's inherently gendered and we're making an assumption that everyone in the room either is wearing a bra, knows where the bra line is, has an understanding of that in their body. Um, when there are other cues we could be using in that moment, like shoulder blades, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> and other things like, 
you know, particularly around menstruation um, or pregnancy, not all women, you know, bleed and have babies. Um, so we need to understand that um, there are people who don't identify as women who might be menstruating in the room as well, as well, um, yeah. or who might be pregnant or, or, or postnatal, you know? Um, so things like bodies that are menstruating, you know, um, pregnant bodies, um, parents, you know, using gender neutral phrases and words um, will help, will not just help all of us create a more, you know, a safer world, um, but, uh, but really help to under help us understand that we can't be continually reinforcing the binary construct of gender and the experience of gender. And, um, you know, and then they help these kinds of reframing our cues help trans and non-binary and queer folks feel more regulated in the room, right? And when we start using language that's inherently rooted in the binary construct of gender, we're potentially dysregulating a whole population of people. We're potentially triggering or activating the nervous systems, which is the opposite of what the practices of yoga are inviting us to do, right? So, you know, gendered language, um, checking in with folks' pronouns, uh, I think also... Um, you know, greeting your classes instead of saying like, hey, ladies, um, we can say folks, we can say y'all, we can say friends, we can say everyone. Um, there's no need to assume that everyone in the room is a lady and wants to hear hey, ladies, um, you know, and then obviously, like, the other component of all of this, unfortunately, is that um, fat phobia and body shaming is inherently a part of all of this, too. And you know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard things like, okay, let's get ready for bikini season. It's time to do boat pose, you know? And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, I understand that, that, that most of us have found our way into the physical practice of yoga through the lens of physical exercise and activity. But um, can, we, can we refrain from reinforcing those narratives, right? Can we re refrain from assuming that people are in the room to change or manipulate their bodies in some way to adhere to some expectation of of what their gender should be looking like right or what their body should look like um so again like really questioning um the kinds of uh cues that we offer um and questioning the language that we use when we're referring to a group of people checking in with people about their names and then you know as i think i mentioned earlier when we have small group settings and people um, share their names really inviting them to share their names and pronouns um mm -hmm. is going to be more welcoming, more affirming, more inclusive um, for people who aren't cisgendered um, and making that like a regular practice. It needs to be done every single time because sometimes people's pronouns change week to week, month to month, year to year. We never know where someone is in their journey and we can't assume that the what, what pronouns they're using on one Saturday is the same set of pronouns they're going to want to use the next Saturday that you see them. Yeah. Ah, yeah, I love the idea of including that with every class because that was something, you know, that I thought was that something you do every once in a while? Is that just for workshop settings? But I love the idea of just making it a practice at the beginning of every class, much like we often check in, you know, at the beginning, does anyone have any injuries? Does any, you know, that we, we need to understand the landscape of our class before we begin to teach it. And this exactly. is exactly. Yeah, exactly. And 
um, normalizing the pronoun considerations by continually sharing our name and pronouns as teachers, right? When I, if I were to start a class at this point in time, I would say, hi, my name is Tristan. I use they, them pronouns. Welcome to restorative yoga 4 p.m. on Friday, you know, um, or whatever it is. But I'm going to repeat that over and over and over and over again. There's nothing wrong with repetition. I think as yoga teachers, most of us know that, but I just want to normalize that in this larger conversation as well. And um, there's little subtle things that we could always be doing too. Like um, even if we know a person's pronouns, we could still check in with them. I just want to confirm you're still using they, them pronouns. Great. Wonderful. Um, or if you've got a, a student coming up for a, a demonstration in the middle of the room, that's like a really vulnerable moment. Do you know how to refer to that student? If you don't, asking them in that moment what their pronouns are might not be the best approach. Maybe you just use the student's name, you know, um, and, and not refer to them uh, in third person without the name. Um, there, yeah, there's lots of different things that we can be doing to uh, make our classes safer and, and more affirming. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. So how do we benefit? So what is the benefit of disrupting the gender binary? Mm. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, we're all being impacted by it um, and uh, expectations around cisgendered women in particular are, I mean, I'm, and for cisgendered men too, they're, you know, they're all harmful. Mm -hmm. um, that the reason fat phobia is a thing is because we're expecting people to be in bodies that look a certain way based on their gender assignments, right? So I tend to think that when it comes to liberation, which to me is part of what yoga is guiding us towards. Um, we need to dismantle all the constructs that we are carrying in our minds and that are being reinforced in structures and systems in order to achieve individual and collective liberation. And the gender binary is one of those constructs and systems. And, you know, we can say, um, but we're all one, right? Like that's the, that's one of the things that we often hear and we are all one. We're all made from the same stuff, right? We're all, you know, we all have blood moving through our bodies and bones and, and all the things, right? Um, and we're all having a very different experience of the world. And some of us are, are safer than others. Some of us are more affirmed than others. Some of us are more supported or resourced than others. And when we ignore that reality, you know, it is a form of bypassing, like we were talking about earlier. And we're cutting ourselves off from the deeper work of seeing one another as human beings with different experiences. So to me, dismantling the gender binary will lead us all to some degree of liberation, much like understanding and unrooting all the racist structures and systems. I mean, when, when we seek to free and liberate the people who are struggling the most, the people who are the most oppressed in our world, it will ripple out, you know? Like if we focus on liberating black trans women, that will affect all of us, regardless of whether or not you're black, regardless of whether or not you're trans, you know, um, when we seek to liberate black trans disabled women, you know what I mean? Like we need to focus on those most impacted by systems of oppression and focusing on those most impacted by systems of oppression will lead to liberation for us all. And, you know, it's easy to think that if you're cisgendered, um, 
you don't have a gender or you're not struggling with gender or you don't have pronouns or why do pronoun considerations even matter? Like this is all a part of the privilege of having an identity that is quote the norm, right? And not having an identity or an experience that's othered. Um, so we need to focus on who's being othered. And, and in order to do that, I mean, we start with ourselves, we, we cultivate relationships and then in the process, we liberate ourselves, right? I mean, I, I, I think this is, this is the work we're in, I hope, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I have a sense of that, that, you know, I think that was one of the biggest realizations that I had in anti-racism work was that, you know, that, that in examining our privilege and being willing to recognize that we have privilege and, and, and to in a sense, uh, in many ways, let, you know, let that privilege go. And while at the time it might feel like we're losing something that in fact, you know, on the other side of that is actually a, a gain for everybody, which is a gain for ourselves. And I think that fundamental concept uh, is such an important piece to this whole conversation is that what might feel like a letting go is actually not. Yeah. Yeah. Privilege feels like a sticky word for a lot of people. And yeah. it's, it's not, it's not a, a bad thing in and of itself. It's bad because our systems are bad. Right. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, so if we address the fact that each of us are, are holding likely points of privilege, you know, as I'm, I'm trans and non-binary and queer and Jewish and able-bodied and white. And you know what I mean? Like all of these identities mean that I'm having both the experience of privilege and the experience of, of oppression and marginalization. So, you know, we can't just focus on um, solidarity, allyship, and, and liberation for one subset of identities, because we are all intersectional. We all have different points of, of, of identity experience. Um, and yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask, but it, it, I feel like you've answered it in this conversation, but if, you know, I want to maybe reinforce this a little bit around how this is our yoga practice, how this can be our spiritual practice. And I, I feel like that this is all, all part of, of living yoga in yeah. the world. Yeah. I mean, let's look at the yamas and niyamas, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, what does it mean to be in right relationship uh, with ourselves and with one another and things like ahimsa non-harming? Um, well, if we're going to aim to practice ahimsa non-harming, then to me, refraining from gendered language and checking in with somebody about their pronouns is like one of those practices, one of the components of that practice, right? Mm -hmm. Um if we're going to be in the practice of svadhyaya, self-study, then we commit to being in inquiry around ways that we might be causing harm, perpetuating harm, harming ourselves, um, and not just physically, but 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 you know, in terms of our our thinking um, and and our internalizations. Um, like to me, yoga prepares us perfectly 
to be in this work of, of quote, social justice. Um, and to me, the practice of yoga, the slowing down, the paying attention, the noticing, the naming, like, okay, now I'm experiencing discomfort. That's not pain. I can stay with discomfort. I can lean into discomfort. When does it become something more than discomfort? That whole experience that so many of us kind of play with on our yoga mats and our physical practice is 100% something that we can bring into the work of, of social justice and quote allyship, you know? Um, how do we be with discomfort? How do we hold ourselves when we make a mistake, when we say something stupid, when we say something we didn't mean to say, but we know it has consequences? How do we hold that in our awareness? How do we bring compassion and gentleness to ourselves? How do we not cut ourselves off from the deeper learning that can occur, right? Um, we can't, I think in some ways it's like, we can't do this without yoga, you know, yeah. like, yeah. like the two go hand in hand and are supporting one another. If we let it so many of, of the yoga spaces in the West are just full of this, this toxic spirituality, spiritual bypassing, um, mindsets and language. And that's just, you know, that's not what the practice is, is teaching, in my opinion. And, you know, as a white person, I am learning what yoga means and what yoga is, and it is not a part of my lineage, but my understanding is very much based in, 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 the, in, this, in these kinds of conversations. So, and yeah. to me, saying, like, we all have the ability to be free, we all have the ability to heal, that's a, uh, you know, that's a statement that's really sticky and problematic because we don't all have that ability currently given our structure, given our systems, given the way our world functions. And so we can't just be, we can't just be preaching healing for everyone without talking about like, what does it mean to get to a place where everybody does have access to healing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different way of practicing yoga mm -hmm. in the sense that I think so much of our practice has been focused on the asana but in a in a aesthetic way more more than anything and and in order to in order to practice in this way I think we have to deepen the way we engage with yoga and and you know it's I see the community, I see the practice, you know, with this potential divide of going in two very different directions, you know, as we, as we have been, you know, online and as we've had a year where so many of us have had the opportunity to wake up and to see a different world, uh, we've, you know, we've seen the community veer off in very scary directions and then we've seen also the opposite is true and i've asked everyone on this podcast about what they you know how they see the future mm. of yoga and you know it's okay to be pessimistic i think in answering this question uh, and and so i'm curious you know and, and if it's if you're not if you're optimistic that's awesome as well but you know I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are you know given you know where we are in 2021 as we head back into the classroom you know where where is yoga going 
Yeah, I, you know, I'm both optimistic and, uh, and probably cynical and pessimistic at the same time. I do think that um, there are more people having these conversations. There's more people writing books about this, you know, mm-hmm. about the intersection of yoga and social justice, um, mm-hmm. about the way that the teachings of yoga um, prepare us to do social justice work and, and vice versa. Um, there's more people talking about it, having this conversation, writing about it, and 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 engaging in the work now, um, which is fantastic. Uh, you know, I for some reason I'm in my mind I'm remembering that it, 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 I can't remember who it was, which is a typical white person thing to say, but some Indian teacher way back when said that we needed the physical practice first, right? Like that was our entry point. Um, mm-hmm. And we needed that because in the Western world, we're go, go, go all the time, which is capitalism and white supremacy. And, you know, and we needed the physical practice to get us moving into our bodies. So I feel like there are going to still be people who come into yoga through the lens of asana only. And I hope that the more we're all having these conversations as yoga spaces, as yoga students, more and more people will wake up and Unfortunately, and I don't know how to explain it in my mind at this particular moment, but there are also the people out there who support who support Trump, right? And yeah. who think that trans people don't belong in bathrooms um, yeah. and who think that um, gay people don't deserve to get married and have the same kinds of rights as heterosexual people. Those people aren't likely going anywhere overnight, you know? Um, the anti-maskers, the anti-vaxxers, the QAnon folks, like they're not just gonna stop um, proliferating those kinds of conversations. So we have to, we have to, I think be patient and dedicated and committed and whatever that means for each of us, right? Like maybe on one day I'm depressed and at a loss and hopeless, but like somehow I find my way back to staying in the work, right? To staying in the practice, to staying in the conversations, but we have to allow ourselves that space to to feel the pessimism, to feel the hopelessness in order to, to stay present with what our very real experience is as human beings in a world that is not set up to foster all well-being, right? Um, so I'm optimistic and I'm, I'm, you know, perpetually kind of scared and disheartened. Um, and when I think about Resma Menicum saying that it's going to take us nine generations, well, that's both really sad um, and also, you know, of course it's going to take us that long. Does that mean I stop? you know, because I'm not going to personally receive that kind of benefit in my lifetime. Well, no, I'm receiving other benefits, right? I'm having this conversation with you, which is going to like, hopefully reach people. And if not, then you and I are engaged in a very cool conversation, you know? Um, So like, we have to be doing the work, even if it means we don't dismantle transphobia in my lifetime, because I want to make the world safer um, for the next generation, for the generation after that, if human beings are even alive on this planet, you know what I mean? Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You echo very much how I feel it's, uh, you know, holding the optimism mm-hmm. and uh, while also recognizing the reality at the same time. And, you know, how do we maybe you don't know this, I, I certainly don't know this, but how do you 
<laughs> hold yourself? How do you take care of yourself? How, you know, what do you do to ensure that your body, your heart um, can, can move through this and, and that you can take care of you? That is a practice, um, which has been particularly hard in the pandemic. Um, uh, I know that it starts simple though, like drinking water, you know what I mean? Um, going for a walk outside and feeling fresh air on my skin. Like there are these basic things that I need to do, whether I'm feeling resourced or not, I need to keep doing them. Right. Um, and beyond that, when I'm in a spot where I'm feeling pessimistic or cynical or hopeless or sad, connecting with other people who can validate what I'm feeling and normalize it, um, not try to lift me up out of it if I'm not ready to be lifted, but who can be like, yeah, I hear that's where you are. And that makes sense. You know, mm -hmm. um, I need that. I need community to support me wherever I am. Um, mm -hmm. and also reflect back to me like, Hey, I know you're feeling this way. I just want to remind you that, you know, yesterday you were all excited about X, Y, and Z, you know, so that joy is still there in you. And I honor where you are now, you know, mm -hmm. we need Need that kind of like compassionate relationship and to me that's a big part of both like basic self-care and also staying engaged right um, yeah. yeah yeah and and I see what you're saying about the pandemic being a challenge to that because mm -hmm. we have we have had a sense of separation because we haven't been physically together but of course we wouldn't be having this conversation you know of if that were the case, because in my mind, I'm building programs that are online. Well, then I have access to a world of teachers and information. And so there's been some really positive things that have come out of this. But I think you're right. Like that human connection is just so potent and powerful and reaching out for that, I think, is is really key. And I look forward to those in-person moments again and uh, a new awareness that we can bring into those spaces. And it will be really interesting going into a studio that has brought that into consciousness and yeah. and what the classes are going to be and feel like mm, yeah. going yeah. forward. Yeah, I really do feel like COVID has been a very, you know, both and nuanced experience. Um, I've experienced personal liberation on, on a level that I could not have predicted, particularly yeah. relating to my gender. And I've also been experiencing low level, ongoing, sustained, mild trauma, you know, yes. like, yes. and we, we all have. And, and I, I recently heard from someone saying that, um, that uh, it's been really hard for a lot of us to step onto our yoga mats and be in our bodies because uh, even if we quote, feel safe in our apartments or our homes or wherever we are, like our bodies are carrying the experience of moving through the world, not knowing if we're gonna be okay, right? Yeah. And not knowing if our loved ones are gonna be okay. Uh, yeah. Not knowing when we're gonna get to see our loved ones again or touch people again. And you know, that's real, like that's, that's trauma, individual and collective. and. And it really does make for um, challenging self-care practices. Like if I'm used to tuning inward and slowing down in certain ways, but those ways don't feel safe to my body and nervous system anymore, how do I tune in and slow down and take care? You know, mm -hmm. I, I am in constant inquiry around yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so you know what? And I think you, you 
That's exactly what it is, though. It's it is that practice of being in constant inquiry, and when we lose that, I think that's when we we disconnect and fall potentially into the danger of conspiracy and and problematic thinking because we've lost that inquiry, that connection with self. So even if it's hard, just to to remain in that space of inquiry, I think is I think that's such sound advice. Mm, right yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I would love for yoga teachers for all of us to be saying more is I don't know when we, yes. really, when we really don't know, you know, <laughs> and, and it's really hard because our brains want to like convince us that we know something. And even when it comes to this whole conversation, it's like, sure. I, I work in this line of work. I'm a facilitator. I teach workshops, but like I don't know what I'm doing all the time, right? And I don't know for sure what other people's experiences are. And I don't know for sure that what I'm teaching in this moment isn't something that should be taught in another six months because maybe our language changes, right? So like- the idea that something is fixed and knowable and certain is is a fallacy. Um, So how can we be in the practice of like having the conversations that we need to be having, saying the things that need to be said while also holding the awareness that nothing, none of this is, is fixed. Um, And, and that we don't know for certain a lot of different things. But what I do know is I've had X, Y, and Z experiences as a person in this body, as a person who's moved through yoga spaces. I know that I've experienced certain moments of, of healing, of, um, joy, uh, you know, and I've also experienced certain moments of harm in, you know, both in the world and in yoga spaces. So we, as much as I don't know, I also know certain things in my body are true. Right. And yeah. we, we, we can hold both. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. How can folks find you if they're, if they're loving what you're saying and they, they want more, they want to learn from you, uh, if they yoga teachers, obviously, who are looking to apply a social justice lens to their marketing, um, how, how do people find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. It's Tristan Katz Creative. Um, that's T-R-I-S-T-A-N-K-A-T-Z and then creative. Um, uh, and I post a lot of free education on my Instagram. So I'll just say that both relating to marketing and creating trans affirming spaces um, and, you know, many other topics, too. Um, and then my website is cats, K-A-T-Z, uh, the minus sign or dash creative.com. Um, and I've got more free resources on my website. Um, I also have all of my upcoming events listed there. I teach, um, you know, quote unquote, trans inclusion workshops on a really regular basis, um, kind of just ongoing. Uh, and I've got articles on my website, um, relating to some of the topics we've talked about today, along with marketing thoughts, um, and some digital resources too. I just put out um, a social media workbook. It's a 82 page ebook on um, making your social media marketing work for you and work for your values. Um, So that's available as a digital download on sliding scale pricing. And I also have an hour long digital marketing 101 webinar that's available on my website too. And I'm constantly coming up with new things to put out. So those are some ways to connect. Um, You know, you can subscribe to my newsletter and all the things to stay um, informed about my, my offerings and work and events and stuff. Wonderful. Thank you. Is there anything you would like to add? Anything I've missed? Anything that, that you feel like closing with? 
I think I'll just say, you know, given the nature of, of the podcast and the work that you're doing, that um, I'm a feminist. I don't identify as a woman. I do identify as a feminist. I hope people who aren't women can identify as feminists too, you know, more and more. Um, I think that the work of, of feminism needs to be intersectional, um, which means that we should, we all have a role in the movement. Um, and the same goes for, for every other movement that, you know, relates to feminism and, and justice and equity um, and, and, and all the things we've been talking about. So I just want to name that. Sometimes people think that the word feminism is inherently uh, dangerous or problematic now because it might exclude people. But I just yeah. want to reinforce that um, I think where we are now in this like whatever wave of feminism we're in are we in the third wave the fourth wave i don't know, I don't know. <laughs> but i believe this wave is for everyone I agree. Um, and i i think that um trans exclusionary quote radical feminism is is um is really problematic and yes. toxic and and there's no place for that um but i do i do think there's place for everybody in the feminism movement and i just want to say that too yeah Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Thank you. I think I think that this is going to have to be the first episode that I release because that statement there. Wonderful. <laughs> oh, all we need to hear. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> thank you for having me, Robin. Thank you for a great conversation. Oh, this was super thank fun. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Justin.